welcome everyone to this latest edition of Bell's Brief Chats. Uh, Bell stands for British Educated Life Scientists, uh, an initiative that's been a passion of mine for the last 20 plus years, linking uh, expats and uh, British educated life scientists all over the world uh, to keep them attached to the mothership back in the UK uh, for very emotional reasons and strategic reasons. I'm delighted today to welcome uh, Justin Gover, the former CEO of GW Farm, to today's Bell's Brief Chat. Welcome, Justin. Thanks, Nigel. Good to be here. Well, very quickly, let's just leap straight into um, how did life begin for Justin Gover? Where did it begin? And um, when you went to university in uh, Bristol and studied politics? Yeah, so I'm, I'm born and bred in London. Um, in fact, I only moved out of the UK six years ago. So that, um, and so for me, uh, you know, the UK is, is home uh, as, as where I grew up, went to university, uh, had much of my career, actually. So uh, grew up in central London. Instead, I went to uh, Bristol University um, and uh, I actually spent some time in Asia before then moving into the industry um, about three years after graduating and I've been in the biotech industry ever since. And the, and the decision to study politics at uh, Bristol University, not the usual starting point for a biotech executive. No, well, I think it's it sort of, uh, I was on a bit of a journey um, of self-discovery as I expect many of us are at that age. Um, and. Uh, for me, it was more about sort of having an inquiring mind, um, and, uh, and that that was the subject I was inquiring. But for me, I saw my education, at least at that point, as something that was really you know, teaching me how to learn and, and to, to think about the world. Um, and so, actually, although obviously it, it taught me nothing about science, it, it it allowed me, I think, if I reflect on my career, uh, you know, I. I it brings something suddenly slightly unusual within the biotech life sciences space as a non-scientist that uh, maybe asking the right questions, um, being able to sort of have a slightly different view um, and uh, maybe add some value beyond just the scientific expertise into the, um, the companies that I've worked for in the building of GW. So uh, no regrets at all, although, um, uh, you know, I think uh, it, there's, there's always going to be um, uh, a little bit of discomfort at my end uh, about my my lack of scientific training, but uh, but it it stood me. I think my my academics in general stood me in good stead. Um, I did go on to do an MBA as well um, uh, at INSEAD in France, and I think that um, again, um, whilst not being specific to life sciences, these general skills um, I do think have served me quite well. I'm definitely a kindred spirit there. I mean, I studied Russian, Swedish and law at university, so I'm still looking for that career as a communist pornography lawyer. lawyer but uh, so, I mean, I, I think like you, I think it's brought a lot to uh, to my work, uh, although sometimes I do too struggle with the science. Um, and so after university, I mean, did, did the degree push you out in a certain direction or did you just see what you saw in terms of the job market and, and then launch yourself? I think um, it, it, the direction wasn't obvious. For me, I, I had a pretty high level sort of thinking and criteria for myself, which was I, 
I really wanted to be to find work that I felt was impactful, actually, um, and whether that was impactful in uh, you know some form of social science political type context or impactful in another way. Um, I, I, I was pretty open-minded about it actually. Um, and so I, I think whilst it wasn't by design actually that I fell into and I sort of did fall into life sciences biotech, I think it was pretty clear to me that um, that met that, you know, the industry and its purpose and um, it was, was resonated actually with, with, with that sort of original notion of mine um, and feel that it's really borne itself out. I, I'm am passionate about life sciences. I do think we have something very special and unique in our industry, both in terms of people and in our mission and can't really think of any other industry that I ever want to go and work in having now been in life sciences. And I think that's, um, so uh, as I said, it's, uh, I won't say that I plan this all out, but I do think it, it, it sort of, um, there's a bit of happenstance and a bit of sort of meeting that original connection and, and thinking that, 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 that led to the career I've had. And was there a role, I mean, that you stepped into straight out of university or did you go on straight away to INSEAD? Um, I, so I lived in China for a while, um, which I, it's a, it's a slightly, although I did actually, it was my first exposure to our industry, uh, interestingly enough, I, I ended up um, sort of consulting for a, uh, what at, in those days, in the sort of mid-90s, was a, a joint venture, which was the only way you could do business in China at the time, and it was uh, a, um, setting up, um, it was a partnership between a a British uh, company and uh, a Chinese company um, looking at developing um, opiates actually into the Chinese market, ironically for a British company going to sell opium into China. That was a, uh, not, not an obvious thing to do uh, given, given history, but, uh, but it, um, and it taught me, it gave me some exposure. It actually enabled me to get my, start my career when I moved back to the UK. Um, and, uh, and some interesting lessons, both about China joint ventures and, and the challenges actually of, of, of our industry, which um, you know, none of us take for granted. But I think it's a, um, so that, but that, that's how, that's actually how I ended up uh, a long way around getting into the industry. And, and so my first job back in the UK was um, uh, working at Ethical Holdings, which is a drug delivery company that that had controlled release technologies of being applied to opiates, um, and that was part of one of the partners in the joint venture. Yeah, and then just the actual decision to go to INSEAD rather than say London Business School or the Said or an American college, what that what uh, led to that? Uh, Really, um, I mean, INSEAD is a special place. It was then, it still very much is. I, I think what's unique about it is its global um, outlook, its global um, student body and academic body. And uh, as someone that had lived uh, in, in Asia and had a, just a deep interest in the world, um, it's, it's, it's a pretty unique opportunity to be part of a sort of global village. Um, it's not to say that other business schools don't have something similar. I think the is quite special right. in that respect. Um, 
And so, um, it, you know, it remains uh, one of the best decisions I've ever made. And then um, obviously GW came along and um, was that a, a result of a conversation with uh, Jeffrey Guy and Brian Whittle or was it um, them, them actually just putting out in the marketplace they were looking for a CEO? No, I, Jeffrey and Brian, um, you know, fortunately for me, I, I worked with both Jeffrey and Brian um, at, at Ethical, the drug delivery company. And so when I left, um, it so happened, not no connection, that that um, they started sort of exploring the notion of, of developing medicines from cannabis. Um, they uh, had exited uh, as well uh, for different reasons, and um, so we had a bit of a parallel journey. I was doing my own thing at business school. They were sort of seeding the idea of GW, talking to the Home Office about it, um, and uh, starting to figure out how on earth one could even grow cannabis plants legally, let alone develop medicines from them. And so um, it, it was just a, a, a coming together, if you will, of, 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 uh, in that um, uh, although I was only 28 at the time, um, I think both of them felt that I could probably was young enough and maybe cheap enough also to, to add value to, to uh, what was essentially a startup organization where, um, as I said, referencing our discussion earlier, they could bring the science and the wisdom, I could bring some other skills and together we could see if we could start and build a, build a company. Um, so that that happened and I left business school um, and within a, a week had a, a laptop, I'd moved back to um, live with my mother in London because uh, that was the only option I had at the time. And uh, and GW really started with um, a laptop in my, for me, uh, and uh, a piece of paper from the Home Office, and then us finding a glass house in Kent. Yeah, and then early on, you, uh, the company, you started working with um, a couple of Americans, as far as I can see, with a company called Horta Farm in Amsterdam. Yes, so that was, um, you know, one of the, uh, uh, as I mentioned, one of the challenges was, you know, it's fine to have a piece of paper and to find some glass, but, but where do you legally find any cannabis? Um, uh, and it didn't need to be kind of legal because I think it's, it's hard to develop a legal business from an illegal starting point. Um, and, and so we, um, or Jeffrey and, and Brian, I should say, um, really um, identified a, this, this company that's no uh, long gone now, um, but it was, um, it was a bit of a passion project from people who, who had, um, bred uh, various strains of, of cannabis uh, for a number of years under licenses in Holland um, and had a library of, 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 of uh, uh, genetic material, um, which we effectively bought and transferred into the UK and that allowed us to start our own breeding. And, and really the, the purpose of this was, was really to, and, and the realization uh, for, um, uh, the whole spawning of GW's research was the notion that the cannabis plant had essentially been bred over the previous several decades to maximize THC content, because of course the use of cannabis by and large was to make people high. And so you know, to get, generate the high, you want to maximize your THC. And I think what was unique about that genetic library was that it was almost doing the opposite. It was focusing on non-THC cannabinoids, so non psychoactive euphoric 
generating cannabinoids and breeding plants that really had no recreational value, but might allow for exploration of some of these other molecules as therapeutics. And that, and that kickstarted the program. Was your, you know, you can't under, underestimate the, uh, the, the difficulty of, of building a company that's based on cannabis, certainly going back a couple of decades in time when, you know, it was uh, frowned upon definitely, and you would not probably started in the UK, which was probably, say, streets behind in terms of understanding of, say, the States or whatever. Um, was there times when your resolve as a company was really tested? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I want to pick up on a few things you said. The first is I actually think from just dealing with the UK side of things for a second, I actually think you know, we give a, a huge amount of, of credit to the UK government and Home Office at the time. Um, yeah. The I, I don't think this could have been started in another country, actually, and not certainly not in the United States at the time. And and uh, because actually, what was the the understanding within the Home Office? Bear in mind, the Home Office's job is essentially to enforce the Misuse of Drugs Act to prosecute yeah. people who possess cannabis. And so they were, they're, they're not responsible for you know, medicines regulation or health. Uh, they're responsible for drugs legislation. And their realization, this was very much at the civil servant level, although I have to say that, that the ministers did support this ultimately, but, but the thinking behind it really was in the civil servant level was that if patients are sick and they're using cannabis, then you know these are not people who are going out wanting to break the law in order mm -hmm. to obtain drugs for misuse. They're actually trying to help themselves get better, and unfortunately seem to be falling foul of the law. You know that the, no one wanted to be prosecuting patients, yeah. um, but the law is written, which essentially required that. So the, the one there was an understanding that actually. Patients should be separated out here. If patients are medicating with something they believe is providing medical value or thera thera you know, therapeutic benefit, let's find a way, one, to demonstrate if, um, if that's true, <laughs> and two, if it is, to, do, to provide them with a legal medicinal form of a product that can actually be regulated within the medicines healthcare system. It kind of sounds obvious when you say it, but it was a massively, yeah. I think, visionary uh, idea and one that was sort of conceived, if you will, by Jeffrey and Brian, but it was bought into by the Home Office. And so what that enabled was uh, uh, the licenses to be granted and statements from the, the government at the time, which was if a medicine from cannabis can be developed that would be approved by what was then called the MCA, is now called the MHRA, um, then the government would enable that that medicine to be regulated and prescribed legally. And that was a really powerful thing to say. And, and uh, I'm, no other government has said that for years and years and years, actually, until we first got our drug approved, and then it sort of became obvious. Um, so I think that's really important. To, you know, I, I do genuinely think that GW would have been very hard to have established in any other country. Um, I think um, 
to your point about perseverance and everything else, I mean, I, there was such a high level of skepticism about this yeah. idea um, from everyone. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think the regulators, even though the the idea of an approved medicine was in, you know, was I think supported. I think the belief that an approved medicine would actually ever um, materialize, I think, was not really there. Um, very hard to raise money, um, and frankly, I think the industry also didn't really think it was uh, necessarily likely to succeed. And, and by the way, I, not that I have any problem with that. It was a very far-fetched idea. Um, and it, it did take 20 years in a way to try to, to sort of prove that those original doubters were wrong. And um, there were many times along the way where they could have been right, actually, because this was no straightforward journey. Yeah, that's, that's really good to hear. And I guess the, the corollary to that is, in many ways is what the government has done, you know, with uh, Genomics England, you know, in terms of transforming and getting genomics being used now de rigueur in the NHS and it's a similar story you know it probably was the only place in the world that could marshal itself like that as well yes um and then you listed obviously on AIM um in the first instance back in 2001 and then later decided to dual list on on NASDAQ uh, in 2013, do you, do you see that that was really an, an inevitable direction of travel for you? Well, I don't think it was inevitable, but I think it was necessary. So, um, yeah. you know, we, we, as we say, we essentially spent a decade on the London market um, and it didn't really work for us. Now, that that's not solely a result of London or UK investors. I mean, the company also had its challenges. So, uh, I think um, you know there's no, it, it, but I, I would say that that we did um, suffer uh, from um, the the lack of um, uh, the 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 sort of size of the ecosystem. You know, the the UK biotech public market environment is 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 relatively small and concentrated, and I think the the biggest challenge, frankly, was that sort of you know. Every, every sort of trial setback or failure of a biotech in the UK, of which, which is bound to happen, given what we do in our industry, you know, it had, leaves a scar. It was leaving a scar, you know, and, and I think um, the reality is, I think we felt that um, there was a, a larger pool of capital, but also a uh, a more, you know, uh, investors that really had such a diverse set of holdings in biotech that, you know, if, you know, if 10 companies and five of them blow up, well, that, that's just life. And if you yeah. make money on the other five or another one, that, that's, that's, that, that's fine. And I think it was really understanding that that was what was, was the right place for GW. If we wanted to, to become a commercial company to take on the US and to be adequately capitalized, this is what we needed to do. So again, I, I don't ever feel like we abandoned the UK markets. We didn't, uh, but we, uh, or as a company, we didn't abandon the UK. We, we employed 600 people in the UK. We've invested hundreds of millions in the UK in R&D and in infrastructure and still do. But I think that has largely come about through raising US dollars and, 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 and then 
investing them in, in the UK, which I think is a perfectly uh, good thing for British life sciences companies to do. Yep. And, and then obviously the decision then becomes, right, you need to put a, a foothold down in the US um, and you obviously made the decision yourself to move. Uh, why California, say, uh, against the East Coast from a communication point of view, perhaps? Yes, well, I mean, I think if one looks at it from a communication point of view, it's probably the harder <laughs> would yeah. not have been the right decision. Um, but I, I think um, I quite, um, I mean, to some extent, I almost define GW by sort of doing things in a, perhaps, you know, in a, in a slightly different way. I mean, by, almost by definition, if you're developing or building a company developing medicine from cannabis, it's an unorthodox uh, company. So I've always enjoyed actually challenging status quo and challenging what I think is the sort of um, perhaps what, what might be seen as an inevitable path. Um, and so I did obviously look very closely at, you know, Boston in particular as an obvious um, potential starting point. But I, I think um, I, we, I chose California, particularly San Diego, actually, because I, I what I found when I moved here and, and I've seen ever since is it's a it's it's got a high caliber of science and companies and by the way a ton of British expats as well in life sciences but it's yeah, yeah there is. but it's small enough that actually you can can uh, build real companies here and keep talent um, people who live here want to stay living here and I think that helps uh, and I think yeah. um, so I. I uh, I what I thought what I wanted to happen and it has actually happened is that GW became a leading neuroscience employer in the San Diego area and um, you know it matters the San Diego that GW's here um, yep. uh, whereas frankly I'm not sure it would have mattered in, in other parts of the US so um, I think it's worked out just as I hoped. So then Jazz came calling and um, started talks with you about acquiring GW and that was an interesting process. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about that process as much as you're able? Yeah, certainly. So in the, it's in the public domain that, that the, the conversations at, with Jazz at least were specific to Jazz and um, we didn't go out and auction the company or we weren't looking to sell it actually. And I think having run the company for 22 years I was very comfortable with the idea that that you know we could do another 20 years as an independent company because I think we've proven that we we demonstrated and the doubt is wrong at the beginning and and had a bright future ahead so um but I I, I think it's a, it's a good outcome for shareholders but it's not also a good outcome I think for employees and for uh, our UK presence I mean it's it's in jazz is an Irish company actually um and you know the UK now becomes its, um, you know, its second largest uh, country other, outside of the US. Um, and it's, um, you know, the commitment to the presence there, et cetera, is unchanged. And uh, I, so, so it's, a, it's an interesting journey from being a sort of an important British company, now a part of a, a company that's domiciled in Ireland. But I think the, the um, commitment to the UK remains unchanged. Yeah, and so the acquisition went through. Um, great return 
for you guys, um, $7.2 billion acquisition. And then right at the end, you get awarded the Queen's Award for Enterprise, which must have been just almost like icing on the cake. It was pretty extraordinary, actually, Nigel. I mean, I think, you know, if I if I go back to what I was talking about at the beginning, you know, this sort of yeah. far-fetched idea, um, you know, literally on the day we held our sort of kind of farewell meeting for staff before Jazz took over the next day, you know, the press release comes out that we've achieved the Queen's Award. I mean, it was um, kind of written it in, a, in a, the script and it, yeah. and it, and it, it, it was, it was, it was obviously it's an honor in any time, but I think it was in this case, a real honor to, you know, at the end of our journey as an independent company for, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone, anyone or any of us would have imagined that we would have been recognized in that way 22 years ago. So um, proud, proud of that. And, and you know, proud that, that our medicines are on the NHS and proud that, yeah. that um, you know, so, the, you know, and I say, I think we'll, we'll remain, I hope, uh, an important voice for the industry in, in front of the UK um, you know, policymakers as well. But, but yes, it was a, it was, um, it was a great moment. But. And I know uh, you and I talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago, um, some well-earned time out for you for now um and then but do you see yourself getting back in the saddle or are you just literally not even going to think about things for the time being and actually just enjoy life well i've learned in the last few months that i have don't have a very good answer to that question so um i <laughs> I, I think um you know one of the reasons we're talking is you know i i want to stay connected to the industry whatever that looks like um and um, want to stay connected uh, to, I suppose, the, the, the UK life sciences space as, a, as someone that has, I think, benefited hugely from it and someone that um, I hope can add value uh, from abroad to it. Um, and so whether that's you know, part of my career or, or not, I, I think um, I've learned yeah. a great deal uh, about building companies in the space. I've learned a lot about the United States as well and how to build what I think is truly a transatlantic company. I mean, I really saw GW as a UK-US enterprise. And I think that's probably not unique, but quite unusual. And uh, I, I'm ha happy to continue to offer um, my thoughts about how companies can achieve that. Because I, I do think um, tackling the US market does require something um, that's uh, some, some um, approach and expertise that's quite hard to achieve solely from uh, the other side of the Atlantic. But I think there's a way of doing it that can benefit, you know, British yep. science as well. Very good. Um, and that, I mean, the Queen's Award, as you say, it was sort of like a rubber stamp of approval for, for what you've done and so on. But I, I'm conscious that sometimes when it's an overseas acquisition, we tend to not view it as the success it is. And uh, is that something you feel strongly about as well? That, you know, GW Pharma should be very much celebrated as a real UK success story? Well, I, 
I think it has to be. I, I just, well, it doesn't have to be, but I hope it is because I think, um, I yeah. think if we only define success by, um, you know, British companies remaining um, British owned, um, that I, I think that's that there's there's much more to it than that. And I think, um, you know, you know, the, the the ultimate shareholder of the company is of course very significant, but it doesn't take a, you know, it, as long as they're contributing. Um, and benefiting from British science and contributing back to the UK. Um, as I said, I, I think whether the money's coming in US dollars or it's coming from a parent from overseas, I, I yeah. don't think that is in a way. Um, I, I think it's a very good thing for, for the UK to have um, some examples of, of companies that have been successfully transacted because I think it is, you know, these kind of transactions do um, generate additional interest. And I think there is such a respect for British science um, across the world and for British companies across the world that, that if, you know, if, if, if money is raised from abroad or the company is bought by a, a company based from somewhere else, I think that's, that I hope should be seen as a sign of success, not failure. Yeah, it's a sign of being involved in the, the global eco ecosystem. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, you've already made, made it quite clear that you're um, extremely interested in staying involved and assisting the UK um, in whatever way you can. What's your impression? You've been a, sort of overseas now for a few years. Um, do you have an impression of the UK um, not necessarily getting its act together, but really starting to motor it with a little more um, enthusiasm and energy than um, perhaps in the past? Um, I, I'm hard for me to comment in detail on that. I, I would say that the, um, you know, again, at least for in the, in the public market side of things, I think it's been very clear that there's been a sort of a, a wave of British companies that I think are, are now well, well known in the US at various stages. I think British academic, uh, the, the academic world and, and British scientists has such respect that um, I think in a globalized world of, of, of uh, with global capital, um, I, I do. I genuinely think that the UK is very well set up for 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 uh, success. It, it um, you know, and particularly for uh, with the US. I think I, I, as you know, as as you know, Nigel, it's it's remarkable how much um, British, uh, you know, the British connections, the, the, the how common they are, and how um, across the industry and across academic you know, academia between the US and the UK. I mean, it's just it's astonishing actually and I think yeah. uh, that, that really does bode well. Yeah and I guess just finally just circling back to Bells itself I mean um, clearly you're now very aware of the amount of talent that has come out of the U UK and is now in the US. Um, do you see um, Bells having an important role in not just bridging between the people who've been trained in British universities but our vision is very much that it's it's not just about those individuals, it's about their spheres of influence. It's about actually projecting the UK a little more aggressively as a, a venue of real huge import to everyone it should be, 
in terms of what's going on in the life science world, whether it's the academics, it's the, the NHS, et cetera, and uh, that there is a wealth of opportunity uh, that gives them very, not just emotional, but strategic reasons to stay involved with the UK. Yes, I mean, I think as you sort of introduced bells at the beginning, there's, there's a sort of emotional and um, somewhat patriotic element to it, which I think yep. all, certainly I have, you have, and I suspect many others do. And then there's the, um, the, the business and science side of it. And I think those two things together are actually really powerful. Um, yep. And I think if they're harnessed well, um, you know, it's, you know better than I do, it's probably hard to harness it. If, uh, but, but I think if it can be done, there's a, there's, a, there's a powerful set of voices actually across industry and academia, certainly in the US and I'm sure across the world that, that can feed into enabling UK science to be you know, globally successful. Well, Justin Gover, very many thanks for this conversation. Um, delighted for your success and that of GW, and um, very glad to hear that you wish to stay involved uh, with the UK. Um, we'll look forward to many more conversations, I hope. Great, Nigel. Well, thanks very much for having me, and uh, I, I hope, uh, hope there was some interest in, in, in what I had to say. Thank you, Justin.